Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. All right, Happy New Year. Y'all ready for this year? <laughs> no, you're not. Uh, you might be, though, after this message. I don't know. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it has felt like a, a weird start to this year. Um, there's a lot going on in our world right now. But uh, I really do believe this, that no matter what is happening in the world, that when we turn to the Scriptures, that God can meet us in a really significant way. And I think today might be one of those starts to the new year that could change the rest of your year. Um, we're in Mark chapter 9, so if you've got a Bible, open up to that. Mark chapter 9. Uh, we're halfway through our Mark series. We're in week 11, and uh, I don't know how many weeks it'll take us to, to finish up the book of Mark, but we're going to keep pressing through and, and move all the way through the book of Mark. And so this is, this is what landed today, is in, is in Mark 9. Um, and before I get started, I'll, this week I got a picture from my daughter. She lives in Azusa, in a condo down there with a group of girls, um, and she sent me a picture of her microwave. And where the numbers should be counting down as it's running, it says H97. Well, that's not good. But I, I'm always flattered when my daughter sends me a picture of something that's broken, particularly when it's a, a technology issue, and like, Dad, what do I do? She just makes me feel useful, right? So I did what every dad would do, right? You Google Panasonic Microwave Error H97, and it only took me about 30 seconds to read and understand that the inverter was bad. And usually the inverter is bad because the magnetron went bad. And that was actually my guess before I ever Googled it, right? Because everybody knows H97 is probably that magnetron that goes bad and the inverter. And I know there's some of you listening to it right now. Like, he knows, like, you know actually what went wrong because you know what both of those things do and you know I don't have a clue. But it took me another 30 seconds of reading to realize that the parts were about $200, not counting the labor. And there's every website I read said, do not work on this power source yourself. So when the parts cost $200, not counting the labor, what are you doing with that microwave? It's gone, and you're buying a new microwave. And I solved that problem for my daughter in about two minutes, and she's like, wow, Dad, you're brilliant. And so she played along with the game. <laughs> Do you ever feel like your life is like that, though? What I mean by that is, like, there's just enough energy and power to show that there's an error in our life. <laughs> But somehow you've been disconnected or, or a wire got frayed or something became disconnected from the power source so that you could do something that you should normally be able to do, but you just can't do it anymore. I don't know about you, but that describes my last two years. <laughs> I should be able to do this, but I don't know. I, I just don't have the emotional energy to, 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 to answer that person's question. I want you to think about it this way. Out of all the, 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 the problems that people brought to you last year, did you have the wisdom, the guidance, the energy, the compassion to help them? Because there are moments where clearly in my life, I'm just out of energy. 
And so I'm going to suggest, like around the new year, you might think, oh, I just need more exercise next year. You just need more sleep. You just need to eat healthier food. Can I suggest that maybe when you feel like you are disconnected from a power and an energy to like really help people in your life, that maybe it's actually a spiritual problem. There, a friend of ours, um, his wife is days, weeks from passing away from cancer. And recently, because of COVID situations in the hospital, he's no longer allowed to be with her. And he's like, I was beside myself in this. He said, but I was talking to a believer, and they said, what if God, in these final moments, without you there, is going to use that moment to draw your wife so close to himself and encourage her in a way that, that couldn't happen unless you were there? And I was thinking, wow. If that was me and he was coming to me for advice, I'm not sure I would have given him that advice. Not because it's bad advice. I think it's brilliant. I just didn't think I had that wisdom to give him. Do you have the wisdom in 2022 so that people come to you and they say, hey, could you help me? Are you going to have the energy for them? Are you going to have the wisdom for them? Are you going to have the perspective for them? Are you going to have the compassion for them? Or is there something in your life that's become disconnected from God? And can it be repaired? By the way, we're not going to throw you out for the new model, okay? I want to see you have a connection with God where you have power in your life, hope in your life, wisdom, encouragement, so that you can be a help to our world. The story I'm about to walk into in Mark chapter 9 is this very story where the disciples of Jesus, they actually did not have the power to help a person who came to them for help. Now, to help you get a grasp on this story, I'm going to show you a painting. Take a look at this. Our online audience, you're going to see this as well. People in the room, you'll take a look at this. This is a painting painted by Raphael from 1516 to 1520, right up to the moment where he passed away. It's even thought that some of uh, his... his um, his, the people he was training, that they actually finished the painting for him. This is called the Transfiguration. And what he does is this, is he takes two stories from the book of Mark that are, that are connected to each other, and he paints them both into the picture. And if you've noticed what we've been doing is we've been teaching the book of Mark, sometimes you'll just take one little story, and, you, and you'll talk about that one story. But what we've tried to do is this. We've tried to grab two or three stories to show you how they're all connected, because most of us don't read the Bible that way. We read something and go, well, that's a good story, but we, we don't understand how it's connected to the whole Raphael in this painting, he actually takes two stories that I'm about to read to you in Mark 9. The, the top part of that painting is actually one story, and the bottom part is the second story. The, 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 the top part of the story is light and bright and hopeful, and the bottom part, the second story, is dark and chaotic. So here we go. Let's switch to just the top part of this picture, and let me read to you from Mark chapter 9, verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then Mark gives us his commentary. He says, he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. <laughs> Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept this matter to themselves, discussing 
what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. This is the first story. This is Mark, right? Now, Matthew and Luke, they actually tell the same story, but uh, Matthew adds this. It says, then the disciples understood that when they're talking about Elijah, he was actually referring to John the Baptist. He has come ahead of Jesus. He's already here. So in the top part of the painting, you have Jesus, and you have this picture of Elijah and Moses, right? Then you have the three disciples who are kind of cowering beneath them. If you look on the left-hand side, you might be wondering, like, who are the two guys on the left? The thought is this. It, it's actually two school-age brothers from the 4th century who were heroes of the faith. Their names were Justice and Pastor, and they were martyred for being Christians. And, and Raphael just includes them into the side of this, this painting. But this is only half the painting. And the, the second half is the lower half, and it's a much darker picture. And it comes from this story which directly follows. Mark 9, 14. Here it is. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It, would, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. Then the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Listen to his answer. He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Now I know this, when you all read this story, when you're reading through the book of Mark, you read this and went, I have no idea what it means. Come on. You're not really, really sure. Can I put together two stories for you? So that you might actually see that they're actually connected together. Because they begin and they end with the same thing. Um, by the way, in the lower half of this painting, do you see the two groups of people? There, there's actually nine disciples on the left-hand side. And if you look at the painting, by the way, it's in your notes there, so you can keep this in front of you as I'm, as I'm sharing this. On the right-hand side, there's this boy, and his face is contorted. He's possessed. And he's guided by his father. Along with the man are family and friends from the town, maybe some religious leaders. And standing behind these, standing between the two groups of people is this one interesting figure. 
And if you pay attention to the light in paintings like this, you'll see what the artist is trying to highlight. And this one person in the middle is on one knee with most of the light on her. And, and, and as if to say, this person seems to be the hope and the light in this situation, and you're really not sure who she is. But she's kneeling as, with, as if to say, I'm bowing my knee to God. I'm, I'm praying. I'm trying to bring the light and the power to this moment of healing. She seems to be representing light and power of God, stepping into the chaos of this dark moment. So here it is. These stories are actually one big picture. So question, what's it all about? I want to suggest to you this. I think it's actually about prayer. I think it's actually about dependent prayer, which is why I'm calling this message just dependent prayer and asking us the question, do you and I live in a dependent prayer? The disciples when they go up to the mountain with Jesus, Jesus is actually taking them up there to pray. Um, and then they couldn't heal this boy. And the, the story ends with, this kind can come out only by prayer. So what does this mean? It means that somewhere in the process of these nine disciples trying to heal this boy, somehow in the midst of there, when they start praying, they lose their power. They, they can't do it. And the thought is this, maybe they're actually praying or trying to heal him in an independent way that says, listen, we've healed other people. Hey, we've got this. It's just one boy, right? I mean, how powerful could this, this spirit be? And so the thought is they're probably trying to heal him without the power of Jesus, but just saying, hey, you know what? We, God, we want you to do this. God, do this. Because Jesus' answer is this kind can come out only by prayer, I'm going to tell you this. I think prayer is our connection to our source of power. And it's very possible that these nine disciples are trying to heal this kid while they're unconnected from God. Let me tell you, I'll call this dependent prayer, right? And the definition, I made this up. Pretty sure it would stick, though. I think dependent prayer is being alone with God in prayer so that we can find encouragement, guidance, and power to help a hurting world. We're on the brink of 2022. What would it look like for us as a family of followers of Jesus to be alone with God in such a significant way that we found the encouragement that we would need for the new year. And I don't mean the encouragement for us. I mean for all those that will come to you and say, man, I need help. Man, I'm discouraged. Man, I, I'm struggling right now. That you would have all the encouragement that you would need. That you would have all the guidance and all the wisdom that you would need to help them. And I'm not messing around today. And all the power that you would need to pray, God, would you step in? God, would you heal? God, would you help? What if you had that? I think that is only available to us when we live in dependent prayer connected to God. So I want to back up, and instead of learning from Raphael, let's go to the story of this. The story begins with prayer. It says this, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, led him up to a high mountain where they were all alone. Now, when Luke writes this story, he writes the same story, but he says this, They went up on a mountain to pray. 
If you've been reading through the book of Mark, you'll remember in the very opening chapters, Jesus goes up on the mountain by himself to pray, right? He's there alone, and the disciples come and find him. We're like, wait, why, why are you up here? But now you're halfway through the book, and instead of him going up on a mountain by himself to pray, he takes three of his top disciples with him. Why? He's going to teach them to do what he's been doing. It's in this prayer time that Mark describes what's called the transfiguration. What was it? It's not that complicated. It's the glory of God that shone down on Jesus, and he's interacting with Moses and Elijah, most likely talking about what would come in Jesus' life and his death on the cross. It's the glory of God that is shining down on them, and listen, the three disciples, they're just Peter, James, and John. They are afraid in that moment. So let me suggest this. This year, if you're going to live in this dependent prayer, I think dependent prayer means this. Number one, it's setting aside significant time with God. This is what Jesus modeled. He's like, listen, there's a lot going on in my world. Everyone wants a part of me and a piece of me. But you know what? This morning I'm getting up and I'm going to be alone with God. Halfway through the book of Mark, he's like, I'm going to take my top three disciples. and I'm going to teach them. Here's what we do. We go up on a mountainside and we're going to go pray and we're going to go talk to God. We're going to, we're going to be alone with him. Let me show you what this looks like. And in that moment, setting aside significant time, these three disciples, they experienced something before God that they would have never experienced had they not set aside this time to go up on a mountainside to pray. I think it's actually safe to assume that every single Christian wants powerful experiences with God. Don't you? I mean, don't you want to have that moment where you're like, God, I really want to know the answer to this, and God, can you help me understand? And all of a sudden, God gives you a wisdom you did not have before. Have you brought trouble to him? And you're like, God, I just don't know, and I'm, I'm so broken over this. And he gives you a peace that you're like, wow, I, I don't know how to explain it, but I know for sure God is with me right now. Have you had that? I think we all long for this. We all long for this presence of God. But I, I think the truth is this. There's not very many people who will actually set aside significant time with God. So what would it look like for 2022 for you to start your year setting aside significant time? And you're like, okay, pastor, just explain to me. Quantify what is significant. And I can't. You might be a parent of a young kid, right? Triplets. Lord help you. And you're working full time. What is significant? It might be seven minutes, <laughs> right? Some of you are empty nesters. And significant, man, before, you're like, man, we didn't have any time before. Now we have time. What would significant time be for you? Significant to you and significant to God. It might be a daily thing. It might be a weekend that you would plan to be alone with God. Um, I'm going to have you decide that. We'll come back to that in just a minute. I think it's amazing that in the midst of this story that God speaks, they actually hear his voice. And out of all the things that God could have said, he makes these three statements. A voice came from a cloud. This is my son, number one. Who's Jesus? He's God's son. They heard it directly from God, whom I loved, whom I love. Jesus is God's son, and his father loves him. And the third thing he says is this. Listen to him. Isn't that funny? Doesn't that feel like one of your parents? Hey, I'm going to work. Listen to your mom while I'm gone. Hey, I'm going to work. Listen to your dad while I'm gone. They're not saying hear him. What he's saying is obey him. 
Pay attention to what he says. Take it to heart. He's going to speak truth and wisdom and powerful things to you. Here's what I want you to do. Listen to him. I'm going to say this. I think dependent prayer means this. If you're going to listen to Jesus, I think it means turning down the volume on other voices so that you can actually listen. Question. What would it look like to start your year in dependent, not independent, but in dependent prayer by setting aside significant time And number two, to turn down the volume of the voices in your life. Can I just say this? Social media, it's a distraction to you. If some of y'all, you just keep the news on all day, just stop it. It's just noise right now. Maybe just stop reading other stuff right now. Can I tell you this? About a year ago, I was podcasting other pastors, listening to their messages, because if not, then the only preacher I'm listening to is me, and Lord help me, I, I need more than that. Don't agree with me, stop it. But you know what I realized? I started podcasting, and I was listening to pastors more than I was actually in the Scriptures. And so I stopped. If I want to hear the voice of God speak to me from His Word, I needed to turn down the volume in, in other places, even if they're really good places, like listening to preachers preach in podcasts, Right? It's been about a year, and I haven't listened to anybody else preach in a year. But I've been in the Word more. And so, question for you. What do you need to turn down in order for God, for you to be able to hear God more clearly? Um, By the way, I I could also say this. There might be some people in your life, don't tell them this, but you're going to turn their voice down too. Maybe you're not texting as much, emailing. Maybe you're not hanging out with them as much. And it's okay. You're not abandoning them, but you're doing it for a season so that the voice in your head is actually the voice of God trying to to speak to you. So let's jump back to the text here. When Jesus, Peter, and John, James, and John, they come down the mountain, I mean, can you imagine the spiritual high that they're on at that moment? They're like, man, we just saw Jesus glowing. It's really what it says. It's not even interpretation. Like, bright white Jesus. It was just spectacular. And even if they didn't understand everything, like, what does he mean? Like, rising from the dead? Like, I don't get it. Even though Jesus already told them he's going to die and come back to life. They, they just, it didn't calculate for them. They're on this amazing spiritual high, and then when they come back, they're met with chaos, right? People are arguing and yelling. You've experienced this, right? You went on a retreat, Ladies, you went on a women's retreat, you came back on a spiritual high, and then you came back to your family. The house was a wreck. Your kids were fighting. I mean, high schoolers, right? You went away to a camp, and you're like, I came back, and you're like, oh my gosh, it was so great. And then you came back to chaos. It happens all the time. The chaos that they were met with was a desperate father whose son was having seizures caused by something demonic. And to add to the chaos, the other nine disciples, they're a little frantic because they've been trying to heal this boy, but they failed. Not only that, but Jesus in that moment, he doesn't come back with all this compassion. Actually, can I just say this? It seems he's a little fed up with them. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. (laughs) You just do whatever Jesus wants you to do at that point, right? He finds out that this has been going on since this boy was a little child. And the father makes this statement. 
if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And that very request stops Jesus in his tracks. He's like, I'm sorry, did I hear you right? If you can. So you're questioning whether actually I have the power to heal your son. And then Jesus makes this statement that is unbelievably abused in an awful lot of churches. He says, everything is possible for one who believes. His father's just asking, I I don't know if you can, Jesus, but I'm hoping you can. Are you powerful enough to, to help my son? And Jesus doesn't say, everything will be done for the one who believes. If you just say it and believe it, everything will be done. He doesn't say that. He says this, everything is possible. Just because we ask for it. Or according to false teachers who don't teach this correctly, just because you claim it doesn't mean that it's going to be done for you. But you see, I I think when we live in dependence on God, we can ask for anything, and anything is possible. That's what it teaches. My third thought for you on this is this, is that when we live in dependent prayer, it empowers us to help a hurting world. We have people around us that live in chaos. You don't have to write their name down. But they're in relational chaos. They're in financial chaos. They're in medical chaos. They're in emotional chaos. And they're looking around for people to help them. And they're asking, Jesus, if you can help me, would you? And they're coming to you for advice. They're coming to you for perspective. What do I do about this? They're coming for you for healing, maybe. Maybe it's wisdom. Maybe they're coming to you and they're not even asking you to help. They just want comfort and compassion. Maybe it's encouragement. Maybe they need courage to take a risk. I believe this is true that if we live in dependent prayer on God, I believe that Jesus will equip you and empower you to help the people around you. I'm not saying that Jesus is going to do everything that you ask him to do. But everything is possible And look at what happened in the story. The father says, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Here's the truth. They lacked the power. They lacked the wisdom. They lacked the understanding. They lacked possibly the dependence on God, thinking that they could do this themselves. And after they get away from the crowd and Jesus heals this boy, they ask him, why couldn't we do that? Why didn't we have the power to drive him out? And Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. I think what Jesus is saying in this, and this is super important, so don't miss this connection. Do not rely on your own power. Don't think that you've got this thing. Don't think that you, just because you're a Christian, you prayed a prayer years ago, or you read your Bible that day, that you have within you everything that you need to make a decision, to give wisdom, to give courage, to give hope, to, to help, to pray for healing. It might be within us. But do we really know what Jesus wants in that moment? Do we really know that we have his perspective when we ask for something? I think if you're going to step in and give advice to someone because you're pretty bright, I'm not sure that's living in dependence on God. 
When people ask you for help, do you turn to God for his perspective, wisdom, guidance, and even his power? I think the one who spends significant time in prayer with God, I think it's that person that's really equipped to know how to pray, how to encourage, how to give advice. Did you know this, that that moment that Peter experienced, it actually filled him with encouragement and courage for the rest of his life. Peter wrote two letters that are included in the scriptures. They're affectionately known as First Peter and... Yeah, you're with me. Just checking. Chapter 1, verse 16, he writes this, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. I mean, this is decades after. Decades after they experienced this with Jesus, he still calls upon that moment. Listen, I know this is true. I know who Jesus is. I know why I'm a leader in the church because of this. I was with him on that mountain, and I remember when it happened. The gospel, the good news is true. I think the spiritual life that you and I have works the same way. There are significant moments where God will reveal himself to you. And those moments will anchor you to your faith in him. I'm anchored by his word, but I'm also anchored in my experiences with God. That when trouble comes, when hardship comes, are you anchored there? Dependent prayer creates defining moments that encourage us for years to come. Those are my four thoughts from these two stories. So if I'll say most Christians want these, I think all Christians deep down, we crave this. We deeply want this. I know we all need them. I don't know what 2022 is going to hold. Neither do you. (laughs) But I do know this. We have to live in dependent prayer. So let me give you four questions. And my thought is this. What's the step I want you to take? Would you give Jesus 30 minutes of your time in the next couple days? 30 minutes to answer four questions. Here they are. How will you set aside significant time to begin your year? How will you set aside so that you're going to live a life of dependent prayer? And so just take 30 minutes to answer these questions and just ask God. And whatever significant is, it depends on who you are and your life. Second is this. What voices will you silence for a time? Social media, TV, news, whatever it might be. Third question. What hurts do you need to bring to Jesus in prayer? And admit that you alone are not enough to bring change. That's very different than going, hey God, I'm here, but listen, things going on in my world right now, I got this. Oh, please don't pray that. (laughs) Because he might just bring something your way. Where you don't got this. And that actually might be a gift. Think of all the deep spiritual times in your life where you met Jesus and it was personal. Weren't they all because of pain? Weren't they all because of hardship? God, I was desperate and you met me. Fourth thing, how do you need encouragement from God this year? 
so that you can be his servant to a hurting world. You see, I don't think a Christian perspective on 2022 is, oh, what, what is God going to do in my life this year? What is God going to do for me this year? I think the question, and we'll get to this next week, is the perspective that Mark gives. God, I'm your servant to this hurting world. God, what do you want me to deliver, to be able to help with, to encourage with, to comfort with, to show compassion with, so that your healing power might be known in other people's lives? You're not here for you. You're here to be an encouragement to those people around you because God came to seek and save the lost and to serve this world. And he's like, step into my shoes now. You're here to serve others. But I think if you step in, if I step into a world to help serve and I'm not living in dependent prayer so that I'm connected to the power and the wisdom and the guidance and the encouragement of God himself, I will be ill-equipped and found powerless. But the good news is that he's right here with us. He says, connect to me and watch how I will use you in the year to come. Will you give him 30 minutes and answer those four questions? Let him speak to you. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, thanks. Thanks that you keep giving us an invitation to come to you and to ask, God, what do you want to do in my life and my world? God, would you equip me? And so, Lord, in these next couple days, I pray that those people in this room that really want this type of deep connection with you so that they might be a source of power, comfort, encouragement in this world, God, you would meet us in a powerful way. I pray that this day, this week, this might be the defining moment for the rest of our year to remind us that without you, we can't. But through you, anything is possible. And if you want to experience that in your life, would you agree by simply saying amen?